Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. We mentioned last week we talked about the two mounts, Mount Sinai and Mount Zion. And on Mount Sinai is, is where the law took place, and animals couldn't come near or they would die. It was like this great holy spectacle. People couldn't even stand to hear God talk anymore. Like Moses is like, I'm going to die if I, you know, hear you say anything else. I'm, I'm too, I'm, I'm, I'm impure. Like this mighty, powerful, pure, holy God. And then we have Mount Zion where we're brought before him through the blood of Jesus, where, where we find Calvary, where we, where we find our, our hope and our newness of life through the gospel of Jesus. And now that's a, a heavenly Jerusalem. This is a place where we go and, and our lives are transformed and changed. And now we have access, not to stay away from the mount because we're impure, but we become, we, we become made pure, justified by the blood of Jesus. And so the same God who's powerful and holy and all of that now brings us in. So beautiful. And so uh, as is the case often in the scriptures, God helps us to understand who he is. And we get to the place where we're loving God and we're seeing him. And then he, he shifts it to the practical. Now, how do you deal with one another? Even if you look at the Ten Commandments and it's like, here's, here's how you honor God. Now, here's the rest of them. How do you deal with each other? Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Uh, love the Lord your God. There's two, actually. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? And then love your neighbor as yourself. So there's no disconnect between our love for God and our love for one another. So what the, the author that's writing to the Hebrews here is saying is, guys, you have this great understanding of where you're at, who you are in him. Oh, it's so beautiful. You're reminded of this not to go back to the law because there's nothing to go back to. Uh, all, all of those provisions, they were like temporary and they were not very good. They were concessions. Now, now you've been brought in. So this has to find its way to practice in your life, the way that you live. And that's usually where it all falls apart. Because I love God. I mean, I can say I love God. Oh, he's great. You know, I want to worship God. Um, it's just the other Christians I can't stand, right? Like these people are, do you know them? Have you met them? They have issues. And they're saying the same about you. And that is actually where a lot of this gets worked out. So, uh, uh, we're allowing God's grace to transform every relationship in our lives. And so that starts with our love for one another. Verse 1, let brotherly love continue. This is Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, which if you've been there, come on, guys, get it together. <laughs> right? Got some East Coast people in the house. Can you guys, you know, I don't know, that's pretty far down, right? You guys don't go that far. Uh, but let brotherly love continue. Like the idea of continue is like that it would remain, wait, continue, stay. It wouldn't go away. I found that it's actually pretty easy, both in my own life and in, you know, meeting many people who've come to the Lord, right away to understand the love of the brethren. We get it, you know? Like, yeah, I just want to be around each other. I just want to, like, love on one another, all of that, right? And then, but as time goes on, people wear you out. It's true. Because, because you find, oh, man, they have, they have problems, and they, those problems remind me of my problems. I don't want to think about my problems, so I'm going to separate myself. And you could see how easily it was to start monastic communities where it was just you and the Lord. I'm out of here. But let's, the idea is to let brotherly love 
continue. Now, there's some context here because uh, this church had gone through a lot of hardship. They were dealing with uh, persecution. Um, they had lost property. They had, so things, assets had been seized. They were, they were struggling in a lot of ways. And so um, what's interesting about persecution is it can, it can make you go one way or the other. A lot of times it can draw you closer to the Lord, but it can also make you jaded. Like, what is going on? What's happening? And you start looking around at people and you're like, I'm losing so much. I got to take care of mine. And you start, you know, kind of walling off people in your life. So, you know, the, the writer here is saying, do not do that. Let brotherly love continue. Uh, don't, don't lose your love for one another. Uh, as the, uh, John writes in Revelation chapter 2, the church of Ephesus, that they're to not let their love grow cold, but then to return to their first love. Come back to your first love, both to the Lord and to his church. And I'm becoming really convinced of the importance of church. I, I think I undervalued it for a long time. And, and I think as a, as a culture, it's been undervalued. And I think that's why we actually see a lot of people that are uh, flocking towards like more of a high church model because it's serious about it. Like you show up, you're part of this. This is, this is where you get communion. This is where you, you know, the Eucharist. This is where God meets you in all these different things. And, you know, uh, whereas the low church has been grace, 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 which is a beautiful thing, but we miss out on what God wants to do and how he wants to do it. The way he works on us is in community with one another. And the best way that can happen is as we're loving one another, as we have this care and compassion for one another as you're enduring with one another. So there's, there's no disconnect in our love for God and our love for others. They both go together. As we are loving God, he's instilling and giving in us a love for one another and his bride, the church. So this is why we get careful when we talk too much about the church. That's his bride, right? Because you talk about my bride and I'm going to defend her. She, no one would ever say anything bad about her because she's amazing, right? Everyone said amen. Tori, she's hearing this on the live feed. They said yes. Okay. So don't, let, don't lose your brotherly love. Don't let brotherly love instead continue. Verse 2, do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Uh, the word for forget is like to neglect or care nothing about. So again, you're losing property. You're losing your thing. You're like, look, I don't even have much of a house anymore. And I think that a lot of times that's a concern people have that other people don't have. Like if our house isn't perfect, we can't entertain. We can't have hospitality. We can't be around people. If everything isn't perfect, I, I don't want to have a conversation. Who wants to be around perfect people all the time anyway? You just don't want to be around real people who are honest and that's like the most, uh, you know, inspiring thing is to be around people who are honest and real of where they're really at between them and God without the show, without all the fanciness, you know, sure, you can light the candles, but we know your house doesn't really smell like pumpkin spice all the time, right? Just like mine doesn't always smell like this, all, you know, it's like you're, this is real life. We're in this together. And, and you might think, oh, you know, whatever. I don't have the right this, or I don't have the right that. Well, what do you have and how are you using it? The idea of hospitality is, is, a, is a big deal because it's letting people into your life. It doesn't necessarily always mean your home. 
And there's people who are naturally more hospitable, more um, outgoing in that way, where you're like, oh, you know, maybe you have the house that was always like the, the, the party house. Everyone was always there. My friends, they were here last week. Their house was that house. Everyone was always there. Just show up, you know. And his parents would be like, don't have people come over. We would. They'd buy pizzas for everyone. They just were, they had it. They got it, you know. We don't want it, but it's happening, so we're going to love on everyone when they're there. I think as a dad, I was like, yeah, that was awesome. And now as a dad, I'm like, I would be like furious if my kids, hey, have no one come over, okay? And then they just came over anyway. You'd be like, oh, can I talk to you, please? You know? (laughs) That's why we, we thought it was joking. My friend's dad would come out and he'd be like, I don't like any of you guys. Can you all leave right now? But he'd buy pizzas for everybody. And we would all laugh and he'd be, he'd be like, okay, I guess we're making them waffles in the morning. But maybe you're not that hospitable of a person, whatever, like maybe that's not it. But there's a way where you can bring people into your life and you can welcome them in and you can be part of, come into my world. Because especially the way that we live and, and, and it's been well publicized, uh, that houses used to have front porches on them. And that was like the thing, right? The front porches. Everybody would go and you'd be sitting out on the front porch and you're like, hey, how's it going? You're like, you know, oh, I see the grass is looking good, you know, not as good as mine, ha, 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 whatever, you know, and everybody walks by. But now, now where's the real estate? Where we put it? It's in the back. You know, everything's in the back of the house. Like that's the backyard. You go in through the, you know, the, the driveway, you open the garage with the remote, you close it before it's fully, you know, you keep your car on, even though it's carbon monoxide, you know, you never know, but in case you're gonna have to bolt, if someone walks up, you got to go, you know, but you let the, the door close and then now I'm safe to get out of my car, unlock and go. Obviously this is an extreme example, but the idea is that we've really built walls around us, even families very separated. This is a unique thing. Most cultures don't live like this. And so we have to look at this in our own life and go, is this, a, is this obviously part of who we are and our independent nature, but is this a, a net positive or is this negative? Is this not a good thing? Are we meant to be involved in everyone's life and other people's lives? And I, I would say the second that you allow yourself to be part of someone else's life or allow someone to be part of yours, you know full well that's what you were created for. You know, and so hospitality is a big deal. Remember, some of these people lost their properties, their houses. Well, we, there goes hospitality. I don't even have a house anymore. Well, then you can invite them over to what you do have, or you can meet somewhere else. It's not what you don't have, it's what you do have. But the idea is that we're looking for ways to bring people in and love on people in our midst. This is a community. That's the beautiful thing is our church isn't really big. But we have like a community. We like know each other. Like I know who's here and who's not here most of the time. Not like I don't have a list and I'm checking it twice or anything like that. But I like, I do know like, oh yeah, they're there. It's just like when you see me like, oh cool, they're here. Yeah, awesome, you know, whatever. And, and everybody else, it's like, it's, when everyone's here, it's like buzzing. Because we're meant to be in each other's lives. We're meant to be a part of this. It really segues well because in the new year, we're going to be starting up and we're really excited about this home groups. We're going to have home groups where we can go to homes and actually have places to meet. And we'll talk about the message and all this. And that. I'm getting ahead of myself. But it's happening in January. And it fits very well with this because it feels like that's something that we want to have. We want to be in this together. And, and maybe a lot of you guys think like, what's softball? What is that? Well, if you're around, you know. It's, in, it's community. <laughs> 
And by the way, you know, we're working stuff out in front of each other a lot, right? Because you have a bad day at the plate, all of a sudden everything comes out. You're like, wow, you're acting like a kid. And you're like looking, it's me. I'm like, and I'm, I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, what is wrong with me? And Candace says, dad, you know what you told me? Wipe it, let it go. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. It's different, son. Mine's different, you know. This is men. <laughs> they, don't, they throw the ball up, you know. It's different. It's a lot harder than the one where they're throwing curveballs and harder for you. Uh, anyway. But it, we work all that out together. And so you see things sometimes, you know. Hey, that ain't perfect. The foundation ain't perfect. Hey, the walls. Yeah, see that one? That's where my son put his head through the wall. We tried to patch it. They're all stories, though. This is, this is how God has intended it for, it for all of this to be worked out in the church, in the body, together, in community. He's like, you love me. It's so good. It's so good. That's, that's it. That's going to be the source and strength. Now work it out with, with the rest of the bride. You, you need each other so bad, you have no idea. Of course, one of the tactics of the enemies is to think we don't need it. We don't need to do it, and we don't need to be a part of it. And, you know, usually you don't know how much it's cost you until it's too late. And you go, man, I have become an island, and I, all my thoughts are island thoughts, all on my own. So, yeah, use what you do have. Okay, so here's, so it's, it's love for one another, but it's also strangers, a love for strangers, caring about those who are on the inside, also caring about those who are on the outside. What an honor it is to be brought in from someone in, into someone's life. For check this out: for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Here comes the Hallmark movie right now. You know, can you see it? So you, you, in the idea is you don't notice it, you can't tell. We see some of these instances in like Genesis 18, Abraham's being told about, you know, Isaac, and there's some sort of angelic, and there's like, a, it's a probable theophany. Um, in Judges 13, uh, Samson is going to be born, actually we could... Yeah, we don't have to read it because it's going to end up getting busy. But uh, and his it, uh, all of a sudden, this angel of the Lord appears and says, "Hey, you're going to have this kid. And by the way, don't let don't let a razor come. Don't let him drink. Don't let him do this. And he's going to help deliver you." So there, there's these instances where we see this, but we're told in the New Testament that there's times we might be entertaining angels without even knowing it. You remember the show Undercover Boss? I don't know if it's still around right now, but those are always interesting. I don't know what it is, maybe the sinful nature in us. You're always hoping that an employee is a little bit mean to the boss, you know, like, especially if you see it at the beginning, you're like, this person doesn't seem super nice and you do, they're going to get it, you know, because they get in there and they're like, oh, this person's helpless. They'll never work here. They would never make it in this company. And they're like the CEO. And they're like, hey, by the way, and they start ripping off their thing and they see the, he's the same guy that there's a picture of him on the wall. Oh, no, you know, how can this be? 
But it reveals, it reveals it's, oh, man, there's something, something wrong here. I, if I knew who you were, I would have treated you differently. The idea is you don't know who you're treating or how you're treating them at any point. Yeah, it might be an angel or it might just be a person who needs someone to love on them and care about them for a second. Who like needs to hear like that somebody like values their life for like a second. I think this is becoming more and more a mission field as we've become more and more separated. Sure, we talk about the, the, uh, the suburb backyard, but we also now have social media and our, our phones. And so we feel very connected to like way more people than you should ever be connected with in your whole entire life, right? All at once. And you see everything about their life except for nothing about what is really going on in their life. You see the highlight reels. And so people are, are missing out on feeling like they can be known because, gosh, everybody else's life looks so good. What if I show that I'm kind of cracked and messed up? And that's the point. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 that the excellence may be the gospel, the Lord, his message, his truth, that we would be somehow maintained, you know, crushed, like, like, like pressed but not crushed, perplexed, not in despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. That our lives would be representative of the message and the power within us that people wouldn't look at us and go, amazing, wow, amazing clay. But they would look at us and go, what is it inside of them that sustains them or brings them through all of this? And why is it so approachable? Why, why is it so easy to be around you? Why do I feel not judged by talking to you or, or feel like I have humanity again? We as Christians should be the ones that get this. Our whole message is a message of grace, of forgiveness, of newness of life. We were dead men walking. So in a sense, we're playing with house money. It's like, you know, here you guys go. This is, this is, this is the, the only thing I can give you is this. And, and everything you struggle with, I get it. Even Jesus says, I, I understand all this going through the, the struggles of temptation tempted in every way. That's why we have a sympathetic high priest. And so we understand. And that's why as Christians, we got to be careful. This is where our love starts growing cold. We forget who we are. We forget that we, who we were and where we came from. We forget our stories. We forget that we were just like others and if not worse. And so we, we forget about grace and the grace that's been given to us and so then we lose our message and all of a sudden the message becomes something different and then people don't want that message because that message doesn't save anyone, including you. And so now the one who's found has actually become lost again. It's really easy to happen. So this is part of being in, involved in people's lives and meeting people where they're at and recognizing you don't know who is in front of you and why that's valuable and important. God is always moving and working in us. That's why it's like a treasure hunt being a Christian. We get to do really cool stuff. Okay, what just happened? I just thought, okay, there it goes. Okay, cool. It looked like my notes disappeared, which would be, um, it would be interesting. Um, verse three, we have love for those who have suffered. 
for the gospel. Verse 3, remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Remind yourself, call to mind, bring it up often, those who are in prison, and this is for the gospel. This is, this is for those who are in prison for the gospel. Do not forget them as if you were bound with them. Right? This is something they would do is where you'd be bound literally right next to uh, you know, another prisoner often. So you'd, you'd know every move they make. You'd hear every clink and clank and everything. You know, do uh, camps with the kids and you hear the kids moving around, you know. Be quiet, you know, because the beds are all just ta-tat, 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 you know. They're all big, and the screws are about to break, and you're looking up like, I hope it's good. But you're, you're, everything you do affects the person around you. And if you were there right next to them, how would you care for them? How would you value that in that position, right? Remember prisoners as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated since you also are a part of the body, mistreated is the idea is, is that those who have been wronged or maltreated, like they've been wronged. There's nothing cool about it at all. How would you value that? Because it's easy to go, that's not my problem. That's his deal. It's not my deal. Whatever, figure it out. Get it together, man. <laughs> but no, as if it was you. You see how this can change the way we view everything? Is if you start viewing like everything that people are going through as if it was you, I tell you what, it's gonna take a lot of emotional bandwidth because it's, it's painful to do, but it, it helps you to minister to people where they're really at. Why though? Because we're like all connected. That's, that's what he's saying. Because since you yourselves are in the body also. So the church is the body of Christ, and we're all connected. Every part of this is connected. Every one of us is connected. So when one of us hurts, we all hurt. You know that feeling. When, when you see someone grieving and going through something, you feel like, obviously, to a lesser extent, you're grieving with them. You're like, you're having a horrible day. I'm having a bad day, too. Like, this is hurting me, too. So when someone gets a, a bad diagnosis or goes through something, this is the beauty of the church. If we're not, as long as we're loving one another, if we don't care about one another, then we don't, there's nothing there. Whatever you're going through, ah, whatever, okay, cool. Hey, thoughts and prayers. Hashtag thoughts and prayers. There's no thoughts, there's no prayers. This is, I've just appeased you. But if we're thinking about it like it was happening to ourselves, because it is as a body, when someone in the body is suffering, everybody else is coming around them to help them. When one of part, part of your body is suffering, the rest of your body is trying to figure out how to help it. Ah, that ankle's messed up. All right, we're going to try and take the brunt of it then. We're going to try and help you out over here on this side. I'm trying to put as little weight on that as possible. And the knees like on the other side and the hip, we'll, we'll take it. We got this. We can hold on for a little while. And then it starts going and the back's like, I got you. You know, we're going to need the chiropractor soon, but we're, you know, I got you for a little bit. But we're all connected. We're all part of one system. You have a body. You know pain. Imagine yourself being there when somebody's going through it. That's why uh, a lot of times the people who have been through really hard things in their life uh, can look back later and say, I understand why I went through that because now I can minister to someone with compassion. Because guess what? There was a lot of people around me that did not 
minister to me with compassion. They gave me quick Bible verses, you know, that were like, oh, it all works out for good. And you're like, right. I know that, by the way. But like, that's not helping me right now. I need someone to grieve with me and to cry with me and to be next to me in this season that is willing to walk through this dark road with me and is also, by the way, willing to leave me alone too sometimes. Because that's what you start to realize. Like, you know what? There's time to be together. There's time not to. There's, but you will always be praying if you're thinking about it for yourself. So it teaches us how to love on people. If you've been, spent a lot of time in a hospital, you know what was helpful for, for you. Like what kind of visits were helpful? The longer ones, the shorter ones, the frequent ones, the infrequent ones. You know, the gifts that were actually meaningful to you. Now everyone's a little different, but you're going to have a, a huge inside perspective on going through it. And that's one of the, the, the worst parts of the fallen world we live in is that we endure some pretty gnarly stuff still because we're still dealing with the sin of the world, but, but God redeems it and can use it in season to bless people around us who are going through similar things. We can be the hands of, and feet of Jesus extended. This is the body of Christ. You're hurting, I got you. By the way, I might be hurting later and I'm gonna need you because that's how God has chosen to do it. So, uh, mistreated, maligned, uh, yeah, saying, saying things about you that aren't true, right? You know how bad that feels, right? So, uh, yeah, there we go. So then uh, our love for God re represents our love for the brethren, our love for strangers, our love for those who are hurting, and our love for our spouses, those who are married. Marriage is, an honor, is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Marriage is honorable. I feel like honorable gives like a very like, you know, I like some of the better definitions of the Greek word is, is um, costly, precious, or of great value. Valuing your marriage properly uh, will save you a whole bunch of headaches. And it's going to save you a whole bunch of, of heartache, a whole bunch of pain. If you value your marriage properly, then you, you're in making very wise investments. And marriage was God's idea. And, and it's also, uh, you know, it's an analogy of Christ and the church. So marriage is a big deal and it's taken as a big deal. And so we don't want to, undervalue that in any possible way. Marriage is valuable. Proper evaluation of marriage makes inferior goods seem less enticing to the precious. Like you, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think of, you know, if you knew something was really worth some, something, you wouldn't trade it for, an, you know, like a little kid, right? You could say, hey, I see you have a $100 bill in your hand. And they're like, yeah? And you're like, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 200 pennies. 200 versus one. Are you kidding me? They might go for it. Nowadays, kids would be like, what's a penny? You know, like, <laughs> give me 200, $100 bills and we'll be talking. But like, you, you might be able to trick 
them. Why? Because they don't really understand evaluation. They don't understand how precious that is. And so they could be duped into thinking, you know, having more of something else is going to be of more, is a better value, a greater value to them than the one thing that is, that has, you know, what will turn out to be way more value. So that's the understanding of like the way we view marriage. And it, it, it really helps to think about it that like it, anything else is like, do I value this over that? Would I, would I trade all of this for that? Our friends who were missionaries, and, and uh, I mentioned this before, they were missionaries in, in Europe, and they would always talk about like when they were tempted to just blow it and sin because they just were like, you know, whatever. I am sick of holding on. <laughs> and then they said the other person would come beside them and say, you're going to end up, you're going to end up, you know, ruining your witness ruining your missions, you're going to lose your support, you're going to be sent back home, and you'll be working at McDonald's in disgrace, which is fine if you work at McDonald's. But the idea was, it is so not worth it. So that's the point. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. So that means pure, free from stain. It's a great thing. Because there, there was also, there's the move to like the, you know, okay, marriage is bad. The whole thing is bad, you know. Better to just be celibate the rest of your life. No, I don't think so because being fruitful and multiplying is a good thing. If you're called to be celibate and single, great. If not, great. But it's, it's only within the, the reins and um, realm of doing it well. Because Paul said, yeah, if you're single, yeah, you could do more stuff for the Lord. But I'll tell you what, I'd be, I would not be half the man I am without my wife and then having kids. That's, that has rocked my world. I have becoming less assured of myself every day. Things you thought you knew, judgments you thought you could pass by. Oh, it's so simple. Right. The contrast to this valued relationship are those who are the fornicators or sexually immoral adulterers. So they're using form of intimacy in like the wrong context. It's never going to lead to thriving because it's not in its proper place. The valuation is off. It's not, it's not the right thing. Uh, and this is something that has, this is probably one of the key issues in the world. Um, Augustine, or Augustine, Augustine, however you say, we want to say it. Uh, that, this was like his mega issue. And, and this guy's brilliant. I've been doing a lot of research on his life. Um, back fourth century, th- in the 300s, one of the church, early church fathers, and, and he could not get it together initially. And uh, so he grew up in a Christian home, and, and he was like, oh, I'm going to do good and whatever. And to some extent, his, wife, his mom's like, please, please be good. And he immediately wasn't. <laughs> he just went, he went all in and like all in as much as he everywhere he was, you know, all that. Uh, And then later on, he comes to meet some other brilliant minds that help him to see that God actually is real, that he's he's the real deal. And now he's he's struggling with, what do I do with this part of my life? And so he had an honest confession. One of his famous quotes is, oh Lord, give me chastity, but do not give it yet. This is honest. This is where he was at. Later on, you see... uh, 
He, he, the, in his confessions, he wrote, I went to Carthage where I found myself in the midst of a hissing cauldron of lust. My real need was for you, my God, uh, who are the food for my, for the, of the soul. I was not aware of this hunger. Misaligned, misplaced. He actually ended up you know, going the monastic route um, completely without, without a spouse down the road. But it, it, the idea is that it's misaligned values, understandings. As we come to know who God is in his holiness and his purity, uh, uh, we, we understand that he knows better than we do. We trust him even when it makes no sense, like Abraham, like Noah. It doesn't make any sense to build a boat right now. It doesn't make any sense for us to have a baby at 100. None of that makes sense. Joshua, it doesn't make any sense to go around the walls and play trumpets, man. And then shout, and then the walls come tumbling down. The idea is not any of those things, because we could go you know, around the most wicked place in town, and we could go around it seven times with trumpets. I mean, it would be quite the scene, you know? And then on the seventh day, we do it seven times, and we shout, break down the walls. And it's like, the walls are still there, man. Nothing's changed. But the idea is when God is asking you and showing you, trust me. Trust me, believe me. Know that what I'm saying is valid. That should change our evaluation of everything. So, uh, love for people over things. This is the other, another thing that comes from our love from, with God, our love of God, is our love for people over possessions. Let your, let your conduct, verse five, be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Let your conduct be without covetousness. So uh, the con word for conduct is like kind or manner. The way you live is without covetousness, without being greedy, without being a lover of money, without wanting more. So what's the response to that? Or what's the option? To be content. To realize you, that you have enough. You're sufficient, adequate. You know, there's always like that thing in your head, like if I got that one more piece of exercise equipment, I would certainly be ripped. If I got the ab roller, do you see how that thing works? I mean, I'm seeing, I'm watching, whoa, chiseled. If I got the Bowflex, I mean, seriously, you know, I know it's like the price of, you know, our mortgage, but like, can you put a price tag on health? Now, here's the thing. is Some of those things can be very valuable, but we always think that the thing we're looking for is just one step away. Now, what's interesting is it's never two steps away, it seems like. It's always like one step away. If I could only, if only I had, if only I had, that is a lack of contentment. This is, and this is what strangles us. This is why he's like, hey, guys, maybe you lost your house. Still show hospitality. Hey, maybe things have been really hard on you. Still show brotherly love. Still be in the community. Don't isolate. Don't, don't, don't pull back and go. Don't get out of here. Like that, this is, because remember, this is a church that's struggling and considering walking. Well, how does that happen? Almost every single time. I've seen a lot of people, uh, it used to be leave the faith. Now that's called deconstructing. It's gotten, it sounds a lot prettier, right? 
But it's almost always something comes up in their life, they don't share it with someone, they're not honest about it, or they go to someone that doesn't handle it really well, and the next thing you know, they start pulling back, isolation, isolation, isolation. I start building up your own walls. You start finding people that'll tell you what you want to hear. They'll agree with me. They'll tell me what I want to hear. They'll, get, they'll feed me itching ears. What else? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that, and that happened to me, too. Whoa. I think we're on to something, you know? So isolation is a huge deal. Pulls us apart and makes us super vulnerable. Whereas if you're the rest of the community, they go, dude, you're not, you're not, that's not a special thought. Everyone's thought that. But here, I've worked through this. God met me in this place. Hey, and if you really are serious about it, let's study it together. Let's walk this thing out together. Let's get into the mud together. I'll help you. Because so many, it's easy to walk big, but it's usually that and, and that with you know, I, I'm, I don't find my ideal. I, I feel like I'm missing. I feel like it's because you're adding on. The godliness with contentment is great gain. As we learn to become content and we learn to please, like make pleasing God our ultimate goal, then man, life just seems to simplify a lot. And now we don't see people as a, a means to an end. If I can only use you to get to here, because that's all the world sees. We as the church have got to be a different model for them. It's like, I don't care what you have. And, and this cool thing is in a church, you have people from every walk of life. People who have been really successful, people who haven't been. People who have followed the Lord their whole life, people who got saved yesterday or didn't. Maybe it's today. <laughs> You have people who had great childhoods and people who had horrible childhoods. And, and, and we're all in it together, but we're all in the common need of the grace of God and know that we're all still sinners. We're all still, we're all, we don't, we're not the answer. So we have grace for one another and we expect to extend that grace to one another. We expect there to be messes. We expect it to be hard. And we love one another through it with contentment, understanding, man, thankful for, for what we have. And we recognize that we have a God who's so good that he doesn't leave us. This is a quote from Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. So what do you say? To this, these believers who have been persecuted, they're like, well, where was God then? It's always the question. Well, what happens if it does feel like he leaves and like has left me and forsaken me? What happens if I do feel like I was strung along and then had the rug pulled out from under me? What do we do with that? Well, one, I'd say God has a much bigger plan for you in your life, and, and he's the most, one of the most beautiful things is God being able to meet us in our brokenness. Understand this, the, the, the sin and the pain in our world is grieving his heart. I mean, the, 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 the struggles people go through, all of that, I mean, we're still, Satan has been defeated, right? But he's still trying to pull as many people down with him as possible, 
You ever do the, like the joust thing? You do it if you go to like the trampoline park or something and you hit each other with it, try and knock, knock them off a pedestal or like they have the bounce houses, they have it, whatever. And that fatal blow, the last blow is the one where they let go of their, their, uh, you know, their baton or whatever you call it. I don't know. They throw it. And what do they do? They either grab yours or grab you. And they go, if I'm going down, you're going down too. So that, this is what we're dealing with is Satan has been defeated. It's the inaugurated eschatology of the kingdom. He has come and, it's, and it has come. It came with Jesus, but it's not yet completely fulfilled. It's coming. So Satan is in the process of losing. And as you know, a wounded dog is the most dangerous type of dog. And he, because it's just he, vulnerable and gnarly. All bets are off. So we're dealing with a, a very wicked fight and battle. And the Lord promises to meet us in the middle of our struggles. As we says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He didn't say, I'll make everything easy for you, which I wish he did. But also, when I look back at my life, all of the things where I would be like, I would erase that. I would get rid of that in a second. I would do the undo button. Those were the things that were so valuable to meet other people and bring them into the fold down the road. We don't know fully why things happen or how they happen. You can get in a whole bunch of philosophical arguments of like, where's God in this? Where's God in this? I just know that in my life, that even though sometimes it didn't feel like it initially, I found that he was always there in a way deeper place than I thought. I think I'd expect him to be at the very top. Like, oh, hi. Hey, we're good. We got this. It's, like, it's in the depths. It's almost like you have to get to the depths to go, oh, wow, you're there too. That's what, why I think we have the examples of someone like Stephen being martyred and in the very depths, he's like praying that these people killing him are forgiven. Who does that? I'll tell you who does that, Jesus. Jesus does that. And Jesus did that through Stephen. God has a plan in our lives. He's working something bigger. Uh, and we're given the eternal promise and peace that makes no sense in light of our circumstances. I heard there was a message by, I think, John Piper, and he said, what's the worst thing that can happen? You die? Like, you know, that was like kind of, kind of the idea. And at the end of the day, as Christians, you know, to live as Christ, to die is gain. So like, even if we don't see resolution on this side of eternity, and some people don't, we have our ultimate hope in heaven and even in that, we follow him and honor him in the way we live. Uh, verse 6, almost done here. This is uh, from Psalm 118.6. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is my aid. He is who I trust. I trust him. Man loses his power to incite fear because our relationship with the Lord is enough. Can man do a lot to us? Yeah, in one sense, yes. But it's all temporal. It's all like, it's all like, you know, it's all here. None of that will last to eternity. 
The reign of evil is ending. The death blow has been struck. Satan hung himself on his own rope. Luke 12, verse 4 says, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill, who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. You want to know who you should honor and align your life with and have reverence for? Not man, God. God will judge the living and the dead. In the end, there will be justice. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to steadfastcarlsbad.com for more info. God bless.